Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, April 13th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill Wagner is off this week, but we'll be back next week. It is National Peach Cobbler Day and National Scrabble Day today. I'll explain the history of both at the end of the podcast. But let's get started here. We'll talk about the latest on the nationwide Adderall shortage and why it doesn't appear to be ending anytime soon. We got some new inflation numbers on Wednesday. Slowly but surely, they are coming back down to earth. We'll give you details. Both Democratic Tennessee lawmakers expelled last week are now officially back in the chamber record speed less than a week after their local council said send them back to the state house. Microsoft, a huge investor in that controversial AI tech ChatGPT, says it has no plans to pause development anytime soon. Ukraine is outraged over a video that appears to show a Russian soldier beheading a Ukrainian soldier. Trump has filed his latest lawsuit. This one is a $500 million claim against his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. And it appears Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have RSVP'd finally for King Charles's coronation next month. We'll tell you who's going and who's staying home. And I'll end, as always, with On This Day in History, the aforementioned Scrabble News, and a big day for Elton John and a little bit of the story behind Benny and the Jets. All right, I want to start the podcast today with an answer to a question I got on Instagram Wednesday. The simple question was, when will the Adderall shortage finally end? I know this is a big issue for a number of you out there. So Mo News went on a deep dive into the issue. And here's what we've learned now six months into the Adderall shortage. So the current shortage is the result of a couple things. Rising demand as prescriptions have skyrocketed in the last few years, more and more people needing Adderall, and that collides with a shortage of pill ingredients due to U.S. drug laws, which both limits pill production as well as puts new restrictions on how often pharmacies can fill Adderall prescriptions. Currently, four of the biggest companies producing Adderall are reporting shortages of the drug, all of it with consequences for millions of patients here in the U.S. Unfortunately, there's not too much transparency on when this will end, but we learned a bit in our investigation yesterday. So first of all, one of the active ingredients in Adderall is amphetamine, and therefore the drug is regulated as a controlled substance under federal law. A number of studies have found that millions of Americans have misused Adderall. A 2018 study actually found that 5 million Americans misused a prescribed stimulant, of which Adderall is the most common, at least once a year. So to mitigate the potential for abuse, the DEA has set production limits for Adderall and its generic competitors. In order to produce the drugs legally, pharmaceutical manufacturers must obtain approval from the government and comply with regulations. The DEA also sets annual production quotas for Adderall. However, those quotas are not well understood. The agency announced in 2019 it was actually allowing for more production given the apparent growing need in the patient population, but we still don't know exactly how much production has been authorized or the limits set on individual companies. They haven't really been very transparent here with these new rules. So that's the production side. Even if Adderall ends up getting made, then there are the limits on distribution. So just last year, a number of major pharmacies reached a settlement with the government over their role with the proliferation of prescription opioids that helped create an addiction and overdose epidemic across the country. As part of that settlement, the government placed limits on the dispensation of controlled substances last summer. That has now prevented pharmacists from filling the prescription of every patient who comes to the pharmacy for Adderall. So what that means is even if they have Adderall on the shelf, they have a limit on how much they can prescribe. 
Pharmacists can only fill a certain number of prescriptions over a set period, but there's been widespread confusion over these rules because the pharmacists themselves don't know what the limits are or when they're approaching them. They literally might get a new prescription and try to fill it, and that's when they find out that they're locked for the day. So that then sends many of you, I've heard from a number of you on Instagram, on frustrating journeys to find pharmacies that haven't yet exceeded their caps for the day. All right, so issue one is production. Issue two is distribution both of those on the supply side. So now let's talk demand and why there's a record number of Americans looking for Adderall. There's been a major rise in Adderall prescriptions driven by adults 22 to 44 years old. In that category alone, they've seen prescriptions increase by 58% over the last four years. In fact, one recent study found that there are more adults receiving an Adderall prescription than those who had an ADHD diagnosis. One of the underlying issues here in terms of the overprescription, you could say, of Adderall is that nearly 40% of all prescriptions for stimulants, that includes Adderall, were based on telehealth visits last year. That's up from less than 2% before the pandemic. There's been this explosion in telehealth. And with that, 10 million more Americans now have a prescription for Adderall than before the pandemic. So what happened here? Well, as COVID spread in 2020, the U.S. government authorized an emergency suspension of a law, which had banned previously the prescription of any controlled substances without an in-person examination. The COVID rule change over the last couple of years then enabled a wave of telemedicine companies to reach prospective ADHD patients through apps. And many people were drawn to these, you know, because of their ease, including there was an app called Cerebral, I'll tell you a bit more about. That was a telemedicine startup that offered mental health counseling and medication. It also meant in many cases, according to testimony that we've now learned, that you could get an Adderall prescription in less than 10 minutes, no in-person meeting, no further study. And so while Cerebral, one of these telemedicine startups, spotted these high-minded goals about helping people in the boardroom, they were touting growth profitability, and pointing to Adderall as one of their methods for growth. So some employees started speaking out. Federal regulators acted quickly last May, subpoenaing Cerebral as part of investigation into possible violations of the Controlled Substances Act. The Federal Trade Commission then opened a civil case into whether the company used deceptive marketing practices. The CEO was quickly pushed out And there have also been some questions about some of the other telemedicine companies that were prescribing Adderall. Cerebral and the rest of them have denied wrongdoing and have said they are cooperating with investigators. And the abuse of that system has effectively killed parts of the telemedicine industry over the last few months. So there you have it on the Adderall shortage, folks. And I know, again, a number of you are suffering, especially some of you with young kids who depend on it to concentrate on school, is you have a supply issue on the production end, on the distribution end, and then you have the demand issue. So there's a number of factors here that are uh, all coming together to create this shortage. And unfortunately, we don't have answers right now on when it'll get back to normal, so to speak, but we will stay on top of this over at Mo News. All right, now to the latest on inflation as we got new numbers on the state of the economy on Wednesday. Inflation in the US eased in March to its lowest level in nearly two years. The Consumer Price Index, that is the closely watched inflation gauge that measures what consumers pay for goods and services, rose 5% last month from a year earlier. So that does mean prices were 5% higher overall versus March of 2022, but it is down from February's 6% year-over-year increase, and this gain is actually the smallest one since May of 2021. 
This is all the latest data from the U.S. Labor Department. And there's a mix here. Some stuff was up. Some stuff was down. Consumers did see lower prices last month for groceries, gas, medical care, and utilities, while still seeing higher prices for shelter, airline fares. They were actually up the most. And vehicle insurance. The grocery price decline in March from the prior month marks the first one-month drop in grocery prices since September of 2020. Egg prices, which soared last year due to the whole avian flu outbreak, posted their biggest single-month drop since 1987. If you were looking for a car in March, new car prices were up while used cars were down. But as I mentioned, the uh, inflation rate was still up 5% year over year. The goal by the Federal Reserve and top economists is to bring it closer down to 2%. And so this is likely going to mean that when the Federal Reserve meets next month in May, they will be considering another interest rate increase again as they just want to bring inflation back down to pre-COVID levels. As far as the political reaction on Wednesday, nothing surprising here. President Biden emphasized the encouraging news from Wednesday's report while continuing to say the government must do more to slow inflation. Meanwhile, Republicans attacked Biden and said inflation is still too high. It's sort of your expected reaction in Washington. Uh, each side is going to see the glass half full or half empty, depending on whether it benefits them. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast. But first, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week and a couple deals for the Mo News community. I want to tell you about our partnership with Bull and Branch Betting and Sheets. We're so happy to be partnering again with the amazing brand. They have a great sale for Mo News listeners. I'll tell you about it in just a second. But first, we should note that Bull and Branch makes their products with 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. My wife, Alex, and I have had the sheets for more than six months now. We just got a second set, uh, and we've been loving them. And what's great about Bowling Branch is they actually spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain. It turns out that traceable organic cotton is much better for the environment in terms of how they grow it, as well as the health of the farmers who grow it back in India. I discussed this on my Instagram account recently. But let's get to the deal here. If you head over to bowlandbranch.com right now, you will get 15% off. All Mo News listeners, you just put in the code Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15% off today on bowlandbranch.com. Fun fact, four U.S. presidents have used Bull and Branch sheets. Again, that is Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code Mo News. All right, once you wake up in the morning and you're out of those Bull and Branch sheets, I want to get to our next sponsor here, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning, easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and your gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of the AG1 powder. You can head over right now to athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. That's where you can get either a discounted monthly subscription or try it for just one month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal for the listeners right here. And it gives you really an opportunity to really start to take ownership over your health. All right, now time for the speed read. We'll start with this from the Associated Press. Ukraine has launched an investigation into a gruesome video that purportedly shows the beheading of a Ukrainian soldier. It's just the latest atrocity committed by the Russian military since it invaded Ukraine back last February. 
The video spread quickly online this week and drew outrage from officials in Kyiv, including President Zelensky, as well as a number of international organizations. Russian leaders back at the Kremlin called the footage horrible, but said it needs to be verified. Since Russia's forces first invaded last February, they have committed widespread abuses and alleged war crimes. Russia has targeted apartment buildings and other civilian structures, uh, and mass graves have been discovered on the battlefield. The International Criminal Court at The Hague has issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Putin for some of the war crimes, accusing him of personal responsibility for the abductions of children from Ukraine, taking those Ukrainian children back to Russia. But keep in mind, with this arrest warrant, there is no international police force. So Putin is not at risk of any arrest or any trial anytime soon. And even if he travels abroad, there are a number of countries that are not part of the International Criminal Court, or even if they are, would not go so far as to arrest Putin on their soil. All right, now this from the Washington Post. Electronic cigarette maker Juul Labs will pay $462 million to six states and the District of Columbia. It marks the largest settlement the company has reached so far for its role in the youth vaping surge. The agreement with New York, California, Colorado, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Mexico, and D.C. is just the latest in a string of recent legal agreements that Juul has reached to settle lawsuits related to how it marketed its products to younger people. Critics say Juul was trying to lure children too young to smoke, and the numbers back that up over the last decade. Like some of the other settlements reached by Juul, this latest one includes restrictions on the marketing and distribution of the company's vaping products. For example, Juul is now barred from direct or indirect marketing that targets youth, which includes actually anyone under the age of 35. Juul will also limit the amount of purchases customers can make in a retail store or online. Juul first rocketed to the top of the U.S. vaping market about five years ago with the popularity of flavors like mango, mint, creme brulee. But the startup's rise was fueled mainly by teenagers, some of whom became hooked on their high nicotine pods. So as far as that settlement, just under $500 million, the states will be divvying that up. California gets $180 million. New York is receiving about $113 million. New York says they'll be using the money they get to fund programs that deter underage smoking. All right, now to Tennessee from the Tennessean newspaper. The second of the two state lawmakers expelled from the legislature last week after leading a gun control protest on the floor of the chamber has officially been reinstated. Justin Pearson got his seat back after a unanimous vote from seven members of the Shelby County Board of Commissioners out in western Tennessee. Pearson is from Memphis. His colleague, Justin Jones, was similarly voted back in by his local Nashville officials earlier this week. The two Democrats, both young black men in their 20s, were expelled last week by the Republican-run state House. They had engaged in a nearly hour-long protest when gun control supporters uh, came into the visitor's gallery just uh, about two weeks ago, using a megaphone to cheer them on. It stopped business on the floor for about an hour, and so Republicans decided to expel them from the state house. But the expulsion looks like it lasted less than a week. They'll both be back in the chamber this week as the state now looks into what it can be done in the aftermath of that school shooting in Nashville that left six people dead, including three nine-year-olds. Justin Pearson, who got a seat back yesterday, celebrated his return Wednesday by addressing supporters. Take a listen to it. The movement is rising. See, they tried to kill democracy. They tried to expel the people's choice and the people's vote.
Both the men now return as quote unquote interim representatives for their districts. Uh, both areas will have special elections. Both men are running in those special elections. Both of them are expected to officially be voted back in by voters in those special elections. So it's unclear here what was gained from this expulsion. There's some national Republicans who are saying to the Tennessee Republicans, what were you guys thinking? In a matter of just a few days now, Justin Pearson, Justin Jones have become national household names. They've gotten recognition from the White House, the vice president, raised thousands of dollars and have given a jolt of support to the gun control movement uh, heading into next year's election. But reality check for the Justins as they head back to the House, a reminder that out of the 99 seats in the Tennessee House, 75 are Republicans, just 24 are Democrats. Republicans there continue to hold a supermajority. All right, from the media website Semaphore, Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith told the organization on Wednesday that he doesn't believe tech companies will implement any sort of pause on artificial intelligence research. That announcement comes as Elon Musk and other tech leaders are calling for a six-month pause in all AI development until companies can ensure that they can roll out artificial intelligence safely to society. The Microsoft president, Brad Smith, saying on Wednesday, I don't see people pausing the research. A six-month pause does nothing. I'd rather see regulation. I'd rather see the government move faster. He says that rather than a six-month pause, quote, let's ask ourselves, what would we like to get done in six months? Let's put together our best ideas, and then let's move forward the pace of policy and law and regulation. We've talked a lot on this podcast about regulation, about AI, about tech. The government's still figuring out how to regulate some of the tech developments of the last decade, like social media. And so they are trying to figure out what to do about AI. But this is effectively the tech companies saying, we're not going to change anything. Government, if you don't like it, you figure out some new rules for us. All right, staying in Washington here for this next story from Punchbowl News, a group of congressional leaders has officially now been granted access to the classified documents found at the homes of former President Trump, President Biden, and former Vice President Mike Pence. Lawmakers with oversight over the intel community have spent months fighting for access to the documents. They've been saying that the Biden administration's briefings on the matter have been insufficient. So this is what's called the Gang of Eight. These are the party leaders in each chamber, as well as the chairs and top minority party member of the House and Senate Intel Committees. They've begun accessing the documents. So far, no leaks. But as we know, there's a lot of leaks from Capitol Hill, so stay tuned on that. The first batch of documents was provided by the Justice Department last week, with the rest to be given out on a rolling basis. Again, these are the documents or copies of the documents that were found in the homes of Trump, Biden, and Pence. And so far, we haven't gotten a great gauge for the specifics of what was in those documents. That news comes as we learned separately on Wednesday that former President Trump is suing his former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, for $500 million. He's accusing Cohen of multiple breaches of trust, enrichment, conversion, breaches of contract. Keep in mind, Cohen was Trump's attorney, but Cohen is now one of the main witnesses in the indictment in the Stormy Daniels hush money situation. Trump filed this lawsuit in federal court in Florida. It's a 32-page lawsuit. It accuses Cohen of spreading falsehoods about Trump, uh, having malicious intent. It also claims that Trump has suffered, quote, vast reputational harm due to Cohen's admissions in his books, podcasts, and media appearances. Cohen is a vocal critic now of Trump after having been loyal to him for years. He actually served a year in prison for lying on behalf of Trump about that hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. Since then, he has published a book. He has a podcast. As for whether this $500 million lawsuit will be successful, 
Keep in mind that Trump has filed multiple lawsuits targeting former rivals, as well as prosecutors investigating him. In January, Trump had to withdraw two of the lawsuits against New York Attorney General Letitia James. That same month, a U.S. district judge fined Trump and his lawyer for a million dollars for what he called was a frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton. The judge in that case, his name is Donald Middlebrooks, said that Trump is, quote, a prolific and sophisticated litigant who is repeatedly using the courts to seek revenge on political adversaries. So this could just be another one of those lawsuits. Trump did have a recent victory in court, though. Trump did win $120,000 in legal fees from Stormy Daniels after she failed in a lawsuit against him. But note that that was her lawsuit against him. That was a failure. That's why she had to pay him. There's been a number of these Trump lawsuits that haven't really gone anywhere. All right, and we'll end here with a bit of royal news from People Magazine. Buckingham Palace confirmed yesterday that Prince Harry will be attending his father's crowning ceremony on May 6th, but his wife, Meghan Markle, will remain in California with her son and daughter. The coronation apparently falls on Prince Archie's fourth birthday. So uh, the statement says he will be celebrating with his mom and his 22-month-old sister, Princess Lilibet, back at home. A friend tells People Magazine, though, that Prince Harry did want to be at the service to support his father at this very important moment in his life. It has been a very tough year or two for the royal family. There was that Oprah interview that Harry and Meghan did back in 2021. And then things have really blew up in the past few months with Harry's very revealing autobiography. We've discussed that on the pod and the Netflix special where he was very critical of his family and leveled a number of accusations against his brother, his father and uh, sort of spilled some of the family secrets. All right, now time for On This Day in History. On this day, 80 years ago, in 1943, one of my favorite memorials in D.C., the Thomas Jefferson Memorial, was dedicated on the Tidal Basin. Incidentally, today is Thomas Jefferson's birthday. He is the man who wrote the Declaration of Independence, our first Secretary of State, the third U.S. President. He bought the Louisiana Purchase, which includes a number of states from Louisiana to Oregon from the French for $10 million. Though, unfortunately, because history is complicated, he is also the president who happened to own the largest number of slaves. All right, a bit of New York history on this day. 153 years ago, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, was founded in New York, quickly becoming one of the leading art museums in the world. If any of you ever come to New York, it is definitely worth the visit. Many of you might know it for its annual gala, the one that a number of celebrities attend. Some rock in some ridiculous outfits. The 2023 gala is coming up very soon, just two and a half weeks away on May 1st. All right, now to National Scrabble Day. I mentioned it at the top. This day officially commemorates the birthday of creator, Scrabble creator, Alfred Butts. So as Alfred Butts developed the game, he went through a number of potential names for it. He initially thought about calling it Lexico. Then he moved on to crisscross words, eventually settling on Scrabble. Thankfully, Alfred Butts did not name it after himself. So we call it Scrabble these days. Before developing the game, he was an artist, an unemployed architect, Uh, And he was just working on this word game during the Great Depression in 1948, once he had settled on the final name and trademark, Butts finally began to produce the game. All right, a bit of music news here on this day 49 years ago. Elton John's Benny and the Jets reached number one on this day 49 years ago, on this day in 1974. All right, that was the song Blasting from a Boombox being held over John Cusack's head 
this week, 34 years ago in theaters. Some of you may know the movie Say Anything, starring Cusack. It premiered this week with that iconic, iconic scene and song. And finally, before we go, it is National Peach Cobbler Day. This day was created in the 1950s by the Georgia Peach Festival to promote the sale of canned peaches. Here's a fun fact for you, uh, Peach State residents and the rest of you. Georgia is only in third place when it comes to peach production in the country. California dominates about 75% of peaches in America come from California. Second place, South Carolina. Third place, Georgia. All right, I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please follow or subscribe on whatever app you listen to us on to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Also, please leave us a review in the App Store. Those reviews matter. So I greatly appreciate if you could take a couple seconds for some kind words about the pod. Jill Wagner, again, will be back next week, but not before. I see you back here tomorrow. See you guys then. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.